0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of TMI Podcast. This week, we are joined by our friend Lou. He's a professor at our school um, in our game art development degree. So, we have a couple questions to ask him today kind of an interview session. I'm joined with again, Brendan and Dennis. How you guys doing? What's up, guys? Doing
1: good.
2: Hello. Hello.
0: And Lou is here as well. How
2: are you doing, Lou? Good afternoon, gentlemen. I'm fine.
0: All right. So yeah, we were thinking um
2: we would just kind of pick your brain about
0: what it's like uh to get started in the industry, especially um you know, a little bit ago before the gaming industry was really huge like it is now. Um how you became a teacher, what it's like kind of like a day a day at work in the industry and um some other things along those lines. So I guess we're going to start with kind of your story. Uh what did you what led you to decide that you wanted to Head into the game industry, and was it your first choice, or did you
2: come from somewhere else? Um, so, uh, I started at a traditional fine art school um, a very long time ago, when there were no game uh, curriculums or you know game degrees. So there wasn't really a choice to do any of that. Um, my goal was to always do. Uh, honestly, two uh, D animation like Disney stuff. Um, that's kind of what was around. Three D wasn't really uh, a big deal when I was doing it. Um, so went through the fine art deal and you know started uh, got a degree in illustration, like traditional illustration. So now I have a traditional art background. Uh, after graduation, uh, I was still looking into two um, D animation and um, Something kind of knocked me off of that path. Where uh, I went to Disney World a long time ago, and uh, when it, I think it's still MGM Studios now, um, where they used to give you tours of the uh, animation departments. And I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's like a at, well, at the time it was like you'd, you used to walk around this room and you used to look inside of like the studio, and you see all these old guys drawing, um, drawing their animations. Uh, and so it was a cool kind of behind the scenes of of where they do at the time. I think it was, uh, I'm dating myself, but I think it was the Tarzan. So that was the movie that they were working on at the time, or it was just released. It was, it was around that time. And, uh, you know, we started in a room and, you know, this guy came in and started talking to us about you know how cool it is. And, uh, and then they move you on to the next room and he drew something for everybody. He drew like one of the gorillas and, um, and actually I was with, uh, our other teacher, uh, Ed. We were actually there at the same time, and uh, we wanted to stop and talk to the guy after they were ushering the people in, so just to get their, you know, their idea, because we were both into like animation and stuff at the time. And uh, he was talking to us for a little bit and was like, "Hey, uh, you know, you should see all the stuff that I do outside of uh, Disney. It's I love doing all this freelance stuff." And we were like, "Wait, you work for Disney? Why? Why are you doing outside stuff?" And he was talking about just how uncreative it is to at the time to work for them because you're just kind of like a, a grunt. You're doing, you know, you have your main animators and they're they never actually left the job. Uh they were like actually pretty old and they stayed there for a long time. And you so you had a lot of like in-betweeners, people who kind of drew in between the frames. And uh it was kind of like a very mundane job is the way he described it and he was really just for that time, he was really just the demo artist. He would just draw stuff for the people who come to MGM Studios. And I don't know, something hit both of us at the time where we were like, I don't know if we wanna stay here. I don't know if this is something we wanna do. Um so it kind of knocked me off the path of like 2D animation and definitely working for Disney. And I knew that at the time you had to go to take you had to take go to school with them. Just to get an opportunity to apply for a position. So it was wow. like really hard to even just get into there.
0: So, is that your original goal was to work at Disney?
2: Yeah, I really wanted to do 2D animation at the time. And it kind of worked with my traditional art background. And again, you know, I always play games, but they're not like the games that we have now. Um, right. So, yeah. You know, 3D was just becoming a thing at the time.
1: It's crazy to think that like a lot of people see Disney as this like dream job they really want to. And, like, I saw Disney, like, oh, wow, look at all the cool stuff they do. And then, like, when I hear your story, I'm like, oh, wait, hold on. It's kind of different.
2: Yeah, it's it's a job like anybody else, uh, any other job. It, you know, you think it's going to be this dream thing that, like, it's all good. And, you know, it, it was just an, it was enough that that guy's face was, like, I like to do all this other stuff outside and not do the thing that, you know, we've been dreaming about wanting to do. Uh, so it kind of hit home where we were just, like, maybe – this isn't the creative place we want. It seems like it might be a good job, but uh, seems super competitive. And I don't know. I don't know if the, the landscape has changed near that uh, change there as of late, because that was even before Pixar um, really got into the picture. I think they were still independent at the time. So you know, maybe things have changed. Uh, but at that time, it was enough to kind of deter us and myself from just you know pursuing that. So once that happened, you know, we we both. I mean. We graduated from the same college with the same degree, and um, I still was messing around with two D animation. And uh, Ed started uh, doing a little bit of three D, started dipping into three D Studio Max, and this was around um, <laughs> two thousand. So, um, and he started talking to me about three D. How he was getting into it, and um, he's like, you know, you know, you like video games, right? I'm like, I do. And he's just like, well, why don't you? Why don't we make them like? Why don't we just pursue that? And he was a little bit ahead of me as far as just you know dipping into 3D. And I was like, well, you know, I do really like I like my video games, so um, maybe I should investigate it a little bit. So you know, kind of around 2000 is where I started dipping into uh, the the 3D environment. And again, there was no schooling. Like I didn't have teachers to teach me. It was um, it was buying a lot of books, like uh, the 3D Studio Max Bible um and going on some really um old forums one of the one that's still around today is uh 3d total uh that was it's still around today and um it's been around for uh, a very long time and there's a lot of people on there and since it was kind of an up-and-coming industry um or field, uh you know there were a lot of people on there and it was you know i'm getting I started posting my work on there, plus looking at books and tutorials and um, getting my stuff torn apart by Russians (laughs) saying how stuff, my stuff is garbage. Um, But that's, you know, that's at the time, that's kind of what you need. Uh, I needed people to tell me that my stuff was bad and, and uh, you know, what I can do to improve it. And
0: yeah, definitely gives you something to work for. uh, So that, yeah, I'm assuming that eventually when you started posting stuff, people started really liking it and that was probably really satisfying at that point, you know, you kind of seeing the progress you're making, right?
2: Yeah, um, you know, it just it just took a long time. Um, you know, it started out with kind of regular 3D, without really games in mind, but like just learning 3D, just like kind of the classes that we do, um, learning about all the principles and stuff, and just trying to get better and better. And um, at the time, uh, I was also looking you know it was one of those things too where i also thought i was probably ready to go into the game industry and i really wasn't uh back at that time when turbine was a big deal um they had they actually had a job fair at a hotel where they were like recruiting um so they filled like a whole uh, meeting room and they were hiring it was like right at the time Dungeons dragons online was was the biggest thing and i think um lotro was just starting to be become a big thing and they were just taking anybody coming down and looking at their portfolios. And, you know, when I think about what I was giving them it was just like straight garbage. And, uh, and I was just telling them, you know, I just, I just want to be in the industry. And, um, you know, like those things are, you're just kind of handing, uh, a resume to someone who probably doesn't even care. So, <laughs> uh, it just, you know, that didn't really, um, Provide any uh, opportunities at that time. So then, you know, from there, it took me about four years um, of just working and working, you know, doing regular jobs. You know, I worked at a warehouse Ed and then I worked at a, um, a hospital bringing bodies to the morgue uh, oh and doing all God. these other cool things. Um, but it wasn't games, uh, but we yeah. were still at the same time learning to develop uh, our skills and, um, after four years, I started thinking I was in a good position to, uh, in my portfolio, start applying to places. And um, it took a, that, that took a little bit, but there was a, a company called Tilted Mill Entertainment, which was based out of, um, I think it was Framingham or Natick or something like that. I forget where they are. Um, I mean, they don't exist now, but at the time. So that was around 2005, I think. We um, were uh, looking for junior artists. Uh, at the same time and that's one of the things I, I say nowadays is uh, with the way the landscape is, they're not, not as many companies looking for junior artists so it makes the landscape harder for uh, students today but at the time there were more like we're looking for juniors. Uh, I applied and didn't know too much about what was going on then uh, they actually had me come in for a interview and at the same time they had me take a, an on-site test and um, it was one of those things where since not being in the industry they have their own way of doing work which was very counter to what i was learning so looking at things like uh, uv unwraps like they just did them in all different ways that i thought looked wrong and um but you know you come to learn eventually that everybody has their own pipelines in the way of working and um, it just was not something i was uh used to or had seen so um, i had to figure out you know my task or my test was to take an existing texture and build a new model around the texture. Um, so I was able to do it, but I was able to do it in my own way and um, you know, finish the interview. And um, in the end, they, they really liked my portfolio. But what they liked even more was uh, my passion and my desire to be in the industry. Um, I kind of just laid it all out to the president. I was just like, I just want to be here like, I don't care what I do. Like, I just want to do art. I want to be a game artist. And um, I think he saw that and just said, you know, you don't just want to have a good portfolio, but you want to be someone who is uh, going to give you good output and, you know, have a good attitude and be someone you want to work with. Um, And I guess at that time that that's, that's what they thought. So uh, they offered me the position. I was working in a hospital warehouse at the time. And uh, it was one of the, you know, for me one of the most amazing uh parts was just getting that email that was like you know we want to offer you a position and uh i tell people that one of my one of my best moments was the day they gave me a uh, a swipe card just to get into their office and it was because i earned it you know like it was like one of those things where it doesn't mean, it might not mean much to some people but for me that let me into that studio it let me in to know that I worked my way into there, so it was a it was a good moment for me.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. It's kind of like all your progress and accomplishment is like right there in that card. That's super cool.
2: Um, I mean, I I keep going from there. Uh, you know, I worked there for a few years, and uh, you know, like the landscape generally is with um, with this industry is things happen, and uh, you know, games don't do as well. You know, I I I was part of maybe. Uh, four or five published titles through there. Um, so they did games like uh, we did Sim City, we did Caesar, which were like city building games. Um, so we did a lot of those, and you know that was really fun. And uh, you know I started out not doing the stuff that I wanted to do. Like I wanted to really get in there and start modeling buildings, but I did a lot of like I started out making destroyed model versions of current current assets. Um, wasn't the greatest uh, work, but you know, you're getting paid to do something that you love to do. So, and I, I felt like I had to earn my bones at that point, you know, you got to make them. So I'm gonna, just going to deal with whatever they threw at me.
0: Right. Absolutely. So um, once you're at this new, um, your first job in the industry, um, you get up in the morning and like, what does kind of like a full day, not like super detailed, but in general, what does a day look like walking into a game studio and and working on a project? um is it do you work alone a lot of times, or is there like you know are you kind of in contact with the people
2: above you a lot, or
0: you know what what does it kind of feel like um to work in a company working on projects like that?
2: so uh every every company's different um with the first job, you know, I'm part of an art team, so I reported to a lead artist and an art director. Um, I forget how many people we had on the team. It was about maybe. Six, I think. You know, there's a couple animators. Um, so that was that was our team. And what I like about the industry and just the way they work is we're you know we're very casual and um, no one's really getting on you if you you know if my hours were like nine to five and you know I kind of strolled in at nine thirty, but you know as a salaried employee there basically they own you. So when crunch time happens and you need to work late, they expect you to work late. Um, you know, a good a good company reduces the amount of crunch time that you have. Like they plan better. Um, and as far as that company was concerned, there wasn't really a lot of uh, crunch time. They were actually pretty well organized and had their their production plans pretty good. So I don't recall any real big crunch times with them. So my hours were generally my hours. You know, I got in at like you know nine nine thirty and left at like you know five five thirty. Um, sometimes I would just want to stay late just because I wanted to get stuff done. Um, when you start getting busy, you start, you know, you, you end up having a queue and the queue would be of assets, not only of just stuff you need to do, but stuff you need to fix. So you would have like a bug list and you would also have a, a polish list and you would also have like new asset type list. So you'd have to manage all that. Producers would help you do that too. Like manager, let you know, like what's important, but, uh, you know, there was always a lot to do, but it was generally just that. I mean, you just come in and sit at your desk um, most of the time it's just heads down. I mean, uh, good companies have, and I think I've been fortunate enough for the companies that I've been at were pretty good, uh, culture wise where, you know, every Friday they'd have pizza day or they'd bring in bagels or lunch, or if you had to stay late, they'd buy dinner. Um, so that as little as that may seem, it actually means a lot when you're trying to put in, uh, extra hours or um, it just means that they they value your time, um, and and not every company's like that. Not every company values your time, but the good ones do. So they let you know by just doing little things um, here and there. So it was just working, and and you know they had outings and stuff like that too, just for like just to help keep the team together. So it's generally like a really good good time overall.
0: Okay, awesome. Yeah, that's, that seems like um, what you're saying about like them valuing your time, especially. Um, we can kind of see that with like the really, really big companies, especially like Rockstar, who's had the issues um, where they were like making their employees work 100 hours a week and um, just kind of grinding them for that game. And just not, it doesn't seem like a happy place to work. But what you experience seems like definitely better. And it, it seems like that's not only a good way to keep employees happy, but keep your employees there and get a really good. Good team going and, and I th- feel like the games are probably better if your team likes each other and they're working well let's see how about um this was an interesting one how how have you seen kind of the industry evolve and change as the time that you've been working on games so like different technologies or different styles of um, of work because we know the quality has gone up in games, but what were some major things that happened um, that you remember um
2: uh, well, the introduction of, of mobile kind of changed the landscape a lot. Um, a lot of those games that we did on PC, like those city building games, they're now on mobile phones. I always thought that, that, uh, that our, comp- that company should come back and start doing mobile games because they kind of set the standard for what, what kind of city building games were. And now we have these other companies doing them. Um, so that kind of set the stage, but, um, also, just I mean, like you know, like you said, um, the quality bar has gone up and the pipelines have gone up. A lot of the methods that uh, I used back then um, were using a lot of uh, you know found photos and photo manipulation, and you know there was no physically based rendering uh, at that point, and that was that was ways off. So it was really just relying on photos and normal map generators and uh, you know specular maps and just you know kind of just some very basic stuff. Um, so that's changed. The workload itself, I don't think, has changed at all. Like um, just the the landscape in general. Um, although I will say, I think that what's evolved is kind of the the risk, where I felt like at the time, companies could do a, like not as great and not have to lay off all their um, employees. But now I feel like if the game is not automatically selling, you know, millions of copies. Then everyone is at risk at this point, and you know that's not really um, comforting to, especially, um, you know, graduates going out and trying to look for a job. Um, and it's harder when you have, when you're a little bit older and you're more uh, established. You have, um, you know, a family, a house, maybe, and you just can't move anywhere. Um, you know, like myself. Uh, so uh, after getting laid off in the first job, you know, ended up at another one that has no longer existed. It was um, First Act. They make um, kids' drums. You've probably seen them in like Toys R Us, like kids' drums and kids' guitars. And they decided that uh, Rock Band was making a ton of money at the time um, in Guitar Hero, so they wanted a piece of that. So they created their own studio to make something to compete with that.
0: Was that um, Band Hero?
2: Nope, it was... Um, uh, you probably never even heard of it. It's a power gig.
0: Yeah, I don't think was, I um,
2: have. <laughs> well, they, they were pioneer. Well, the the big thing for them was is they had they manufactured their own instruments. So the big thing there was that we were giving them uh, a real guitar, like with real strings, okay. and real frets, and like everything. The whole guitar was real. So in it, the the final product was like Guitar Hero sized guitar, but it was a it was really a six string. Okay. And uh they used their r and d to create it where like they kind of like muffled the strings, and those strings could generate input as far as like what um you know what what frets or what what you know strings you were plucking
0: it's pretty sweet I think that that'd be cool, but um people who don't know how to play guitar probably wouldn't be buying it or was it expensive was that another issue um
2: I don't think it was super expensive um I think it had to be comparable with um you know, what was already out there it couldn't be just out of reach for a lot of people. Um, it also came with a drum kit. And I think <laughs> the drum kit was like what I think really hurt us because we had, we were going for the original, like, you know, use sticks and hit like these pads. Um, but <laughs> at the time they were developing uh, air drums and it was like light sensors that like generated hits, you know, which if we, and uh, the president saw. This video because they had a a development company or a manufacturing company in China who were kind of researching this like IR lights that shoot up from this base on the floor and it reacts to like where you're swinging your sticks and he thought it was the most amazing thing in the world and said that (laughs) we're going to um, put it in our game. It wasn't even really for the game, but he's like, we're going to do that. And people were just like, hey, didn't you wanted us to be this really authentic band system, but yet we're going to use fake drums? (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it, uh, the the group as a whole, like the the, the team, didn't really like it, but um, they were they were really dead set on making this thing happen, and it was a nightmare development wise for the hardware team to make this thing respond to just your random hits in in the air. It was it was it was very difficult.
0: Yeah, I can see how that would be. Uh... Not only hard to develop, but hard to use as well, because um, there's, <laughs> no, there's no feedback for it when you when you know there something. was yeah there
2: was zero, so you're like, am I hitting where I'm supposed to am I over on one side or the other side it was it was kind of a mess,
0: yeah, all right um I think I'm gonna hand it over to Dennis. He's got some uh some more questions. I think I've gone through the ones that I had, so so um, how did you go from like game industry
1: into teaching um the game industry?
2: Sort of deal um well it kind (laughs) of references to what you know what i was just talking about where um the industry is volatile and um unpredictable and you know by the time i started teaching i'd been laid off three times so after that uh that studio 745 studios which is part of the first act brand um they went down and i knew that they were going down so I went and applied to Turbine, which uh, way back at the beginning of my story was uh, me not getting a job through them. But uh, you know, years later, uh, I did end up getting uh, a job through them, and I was there for three years. And uh, like like many other companies, uh, didn't didn't meet what they needed to do, and then they started having mass layoffs. And uh, I was unfortunately part of that one. So that would have been my that was my third layoff. And, you know, looking at the landscape in New England, there was not really many companies to of, of note to really go to anymore. Um there was still Rockstar New England, but they were kind of impenetrable as far as like hiring. They never got back to people, uh, you know, the same position and had stayed posted for years. Um, you never knew if they were hiring people or if they were in a hiring freeze, like you never know. And you know, and I knew people who knew people in there and just still couldn't get Break through that wall, and um, I, I think it was for the better. But um, from there, looking at the landscape, at like at that time too, Irrational went down. You know, they did um, Bioshock uh, Infinite and the other Bioshock, so they were gone too. Um, Thirty-eight Studios, which was in Rhode Island, you know, they went down. So a lot of these companies that initially I was like, you know, I would apply to when I when I felt ready, you know, they were gone. So there wasn't more to do. Um, and by this time. Uh, Ed had moved on to uh, teaching because he was in the same position uh, I was. He just jumped on to the uh, education academic train uh, again earlier and said, "Hey, why don't you start? Why don't you come and like give a talk to our students?" And this was actually at the time I was still uh, in Turbine. Uh, he's like, "Hey, you should come give a talk to our students." And I said, "Oh, maybe I will, but you know, you're in New Hampshire, so it was a little bit harder to get up there." So I didn't really, I wasn't really able to do that. But after the layoff, um, he was like, "Hey, do you want to teach some adjunct?" And uh, you know, without any real prospects at the time, and you know, I had, uh, I'd been uh, recently married and had my first kid, and there was no way I was just going to pick them up and move them to like California or someplace where uh, the job scene was a little bit better. It was just, it, w- it wouldn't have been fair to them. So. Uh, trying to think of other ways to just kind of get into it and did a, you know, started doing like one class here and there, like an intro to modeling class. Uh, and that was around 2014. And um, it was, it was actually cool. It was pretty rewarding. It was started seeing people who were like, wow, these are people just like me who really want or hungry to get into the industry. And now they have an opportunity to like learn from someone else's mistakes or get, you know, direct feedback and not have to worry about buying a book or, uh, going on forums and, and having just randos, uh, you know, tear apart your work. Uh, so it was really cool to see people, uh, uh, like get what I'm trying to tell them. And I wasn't, I'm not like, and I'm still not like this super academic teacher. I'm just, I'm a, I'm a working developer, you know, who, uh, has done it for a while and, and wants to like show people how to, how to get that stuff done. Yeah. So like, um,
1: would you continue teaching in the future i mean like in like let's say in like the next 10 years would you are you going to still teach or do you think you like move somewhere else because we didn't talk about how like if you were becoming like a texture for naughty dogs you would just like
2: leave (laughs) Uh, i say that but um you know i i do love what i do now um now that i'm you know so i adjuncted for a while and actually this year was the first year that I was hired on as full-time faculty so i actually get to play a even bigger role in the development of the curriculum and um another cool thing about being uh you know being in the position that i am is i can i have plenty of opportunities to keep up with my own work keep up with the industry i am still allowed and encouraged to, to make games and work on games and freelance i actually have some freelance coming up uh in another uh, month or two uh which i'm Ooh. looking forward to so um You know, that type of stuff, you know, can definitely keep me busy and it helps keep me uh, industry uh, relevant. And, uh, you know, and that's the stuff that I want to look at and and bring back to bring back to you guys. So um, as much as I love, it would still be a big deal if Naughty Dog, you know, was like, hey, you want to do a texture job? Although that would be amazing. It's still the whole process of, you know, picking up my family. Now I have two kids (laughs) and like now trying to move them to uh to wherever that is and still being like still unsure about the the future of your position you never know i mean even if someplace as big as naughty dog or i forget who the other place recently laid people off where i thought that they were much more stable than they were um even like arena net um i thought that they were pretty stable they laid off a bunch of people riot i think laid off people like mm-hmm. people who you thought were companies who you thought were like pretty stable Um, Are now just reducing their numbers, and it's uh, it's still scary. And you know, my wife has a pretty vested job that she's worked at for twenty years, and I would not want to rip her out of that job and put make her go get something new just for my sake, and then figure out you know a year later that I lose my job there too. So to me, it was it's not worth um, the risk with other factors involved. Now, what I tell uh, my students is just go anywhere. You know, right now you don't. You know, you probably don't have the the ties or the restrictions uh, at this point when you gra- or when you graduate. But I would say go anywhere, anywhere the jobs are. So if you have to travel to Canada, um, you know, go there, get that experience. Even if you only work there for like six months, um, go there and and say I worked for Ubisoft for six months. Like that's amazing. Get that experience, and then eventually you'll find a place to uh, settle down with.
0: If you had to name like one place that was really good for the game entry, like right now, um, where, where do you think that people should be looking to find to find a job?
2: Oh, what's the what do I think is the best place now to, you know, land your first job or?
1: I think I think he's trying to say like, what region maybe? Uh, I don't know, like location wise, like what do you think is the best right now?
2: Um, I mean, California has. The, the most job opportunities I think they have the most all the companies are there uh, obviously Canada has a a lot um so i mean those are kind of the regions i mean even um even Europe has a lot of them too it's just the the east coast i mean I think we might be slowly crawling back we have a lot of indies here uh, which is cool but I would like to see more more bigger companies come from even if they come from those indie company companies that would be fantastic uh, but i want to see the east coast get uh, a little bit more uh, on the map, but you know, if you think about where all these companies are that you are interested in, they're not here. So they're like Maryland, and um, you know, like Bethesda's in Maryland, and and you know, like BioWare's in Texas and stuff like that. But there's also a lot of places in Cali, uh, and and Canada has a lot of stuff. So I mean, you know, I'd be, I'd be looking, kind of in in those general areas, and I think, you would have more of an opportunity because there's just more positions to apply for there. So you know, even if you didn't get one, there's still a strong opportunity that you know, someone around there will be looking for people. And there's a lot of companies around there that um just maybe aren't even uh, industry related that you can use your 3D skills with. I mean, a lot of the stuff we teach here are uh, transferable to other industries. So I mean, there is possibilities. Like a lot of our students, when they graduate here, they go to Wayfair. Which is like a, a furniture company, so they do they work on models and scenes with uh 3D assets, um, and it's cool. I mean, some people really like it, and they actually don't leave. They they get paid really well, and it might not be games, but you know if they're happy, then
0: yeah. I mean, as long as what you're doing is fun, um, yeah, I think it's it's worth doing.
2: I mean, ideally, we want our our students to graduate and go work for game companies or make their own company or their own games. Um, you know a, any one of those. But if you were to find something you're happy with and you get to use the skills that you've uh, kind of gone through here, then um you know we're happy too.
0: absolutely. All right, looks like we're just about at the one thirty mark. So we have two quick fire questions for you. Uh, how is GDC, and what are you excited about coming up? And then what is your opinion on? big cash grabbing games from AAA studios like, um, crammed with microtransactions and, and stuff like that.
2: Uh, okay. Uh, GDC was uh, really great. It was my first time there, first time in San Francisco. So I got to you know, meet a lot of interesting uh, people. I went to a lot of good talks, um, for me personally on the education track, as far as like, you know, leadership and stuff. So that helped me a lot. Um, but got to see a lot of uh, panels on, um, you know spider-man and assassin's creed odyssey and um, although a lot of it was uh, programmer designer heavy in my opinion a lot of the talks um, the art stuff that i did see was actually really good um, you know substance is really rolling along and they're introducing new software that you know i just started to get my hands on and i can't wait to see how we can put it into the curriculum for texturing didn't see really anything for zbrush which i was a little disappointed um, i didn't even see them at, at any booths i may have missed them but I didn't even know if they were there. But the expo was pretty good. You know, got to see a lot of companies and, and looking at a lot of the tech from uh, companies that handle uh, browser side um, level of detail creation to, you know, uh, speed tree, which helps with biome creation, like all these things. Um, I would like to see in some capacity get put into our curriculum, although, you know, it's easier said than done because we don't really have as much staff. You know, there's only two, two or three, you know, two full time art. Professors and and an adjunct, so uh, there's not really a lot of opportunities to to put new stuff in. But that's what you know. We're still a growing uh, program, so hopefully we'll we'll put the right things in place that will be the best for best for you guys going forward. But yeah, GDC was was really cool. Um, So for kind of cash grab companies, you know. I don't. Mi- I mean, personally, I don't mind giving money to companies who make free-to-play games, as long as I'm. If I'm enjoying myself, uh, you know, kind of like like an Apex Legends or something. Like, if you're having fun, uh, or like a Warframe, like you're just you're putting tons of hours in. This there shouldn't be a reason why you wouldn't give them money. Like, they got to make money somehow. Um, it's just the people who are very blatant about it. With you know, I don't. I don't really like loot boxes because it is basically gambling. Um, you know you're it, and it's it, it really ends up being targeted towards you know uh, a younger crowd who doesn't understand that that's gambling and you know pretty soon and the parents aren't really you know keeping close attention on that that is even gambling like they don't probably don't even think of it as that and you know that ends up being you know getting people in trouble i mean i can't even give my uh you know one of my sons like a uh, an app on the ipad without them Getting almost to the point where they start buying stuff just because they're pushing buttons, you know. I mean, uh, they make it they make it a little too easy.
0: I think uh, that's um, kind of a good point you made about like the free games that have buyable stuff. Especially if you see value in it and you like the game, I think it's definitely worth it. Um, but again, like the loot boxes, I think before they fixed the Star Wars game, they made a couple billion off of their microtransactions for a game you already had to, which I think just kind of puts kind of puts a bad look on that industry. And people are just less excited about new games that are coming out that have that.
2: And it's some conspiracy theory people would say that, like, they knew that they were going to have to walk that back soon. So try to get as much money as you can with these loot boxes before you yeah. know the ceiling comes crashing down. And they've already made their money, so then they can now say, "Oh well, fine, well we'll stop." But they've already made billions of dollars, right? They've in- already yeah.
1: got check in the mail. It's like a like a business model some games have. Like Destiny Two, it came out as this like trash game. And people bought it for like $60 and then they had like more and more DLCs after that and people kept buying DLCs because like they promised, oh, you know, this DLC is going to make Destiny 2 better. So in the end, people had to spend like hundreds of dollars on Destiny 2 just to get Forsaken, which is like the better Destiny 2.
0: If you bought the deluxe version when it came out and then you bought Forsaken and then you bought the um, annual pass, it's like close to $200 for the game, for the whole game.
2: Yeah, think about how much, you, much you've already put into it by that point. By the time you could say it actually got good, right? Right. Yeah, and that's a big problem. Uh, like you know, I'm, I'm really interested in like Anthem, but I'm not touching it until um, I feel confident that they're number one going to continue to support it, uh, and number two, kind of get their their technical issues under uh, under control. Because I just feel like that that's not. And, and for me, yeah. I'm, a, <laughs> I'm, I'm fortunately an early adopter. I like to get things right away, but. Um, I'm trying to stay away from that. I did that with Fallout 76 and I get uh, I get uh, quite a talking to by some of you guys as far as like <laughs> you bought that garbage. Um, I mean, that not so.
0: Dennis, Yeah, Dennis gives me the same runaround.
2: Uh, <laughs> I don't mind that game
0: now. It's, it's okay.
2: I took it for what it is. Same thing with like a No Man's Sky or something. I knew what it was uh, and I had my fun with it, but now it's actually a really good game, but you had yeah. to wait two years to get to that point, but
0: I'm happy they're still supporting it. They're doing a good job with yeah. the game at this point.
2: Yeah. I mean, but there's something to be said about a company that can push out a game that does not have to be day one patched or um is shipped complete, you know, like a God of War or um, you know, and pretty much anything from Nintendo, just about. Like those games always ship pretty yeah. pretty pristine. Um rarely are they just in a in a broken state, right?
0: Right. Yeah, I was gonna say God of War, I think, has only had one patch. It's not like the final version it's on right now is like 1.3. It's still like they haven't really touched it. I mean, impressive. in my
2: opinion, that's one of the most perfect games that I've played in a long time. Just yeah. a, I can't, it's hard for me to find actually anything wrong with it. I mean, I'm sure plenty of people can, maybe from a design point or a, uh, you know, maybe a, an effects point or a programming point. But for me, from an art point, I just, uh, that game is yeah. pretty phenomenal. The game is,
0: yeah, it's a beautiful it's game. F- flawless. Fun.
2: Yeah. It's my favorite. Uh, just visually, um, this this generation, for sure.
3: Yeah, I uh, I actually follow the art director of that game on Twitter. He posts a lot of his uh, concept art and like stuff he's working on. It's really nice to
2: see. I always look forward to a lot of you know on ArtStation or um, Polycount. They at some point they usually do like art dumps. Um so a lot of the artists finally get to show what they've been working on and um you get to see all their their brush sculpts and other concept art and like I love I love seeing that stuff. Yeah.
3: It's, it's actually like crazy some of the stuff they can do.
2: Yep. Yeah. No, they're 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 a good company. I'm looking forward to what they're doing next, which is probably the God of War too. Yeah.
0: I'm really excited
2: for that. I got the um
0: actually Brandon had to tell me how to get it, the um Thor Easter egg at the end when he shows up at the house.
2: Oh, I don't think I was that the last part of it. Yeah, it's like an ending, ending. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't a big fan uh, of the ending, but I, I guess that there was more after that. I just felt like it kind of ended abruptly. Like, yeah, oh, I thought I was gonna go do something else, but I, now I see credits. I'm like, oh well, I still had a lot of fun. You know, <laughs> It was one of the only games so far that I've had that I've actually uh, completed. Uh, I buy so many games and I never complete them. That was one of the ones that I actually just. I couldn't stop playing. I just kept going to it. Uh, it had a good flow to it where there was just like, hey, well, there's no real good place to stop, so I'm just going to keep playing. Yeah. You
3: know, um, well, I, I have to say, I think Dennis can agree with me too. Watching Zach play God of War is probably one of the most interesting and most infuriating experiences <laughs> oh I've God. had in my entire life. <laughs> it is. This man, I, I, I still cannot wrap my head around how his brain operates when he has a <laughs> controller in his hand. It's just like the choices he makes. It's like, I, I think he comes from another planet.
0: Because I've been playing PC for so long, I've never had a console, and I actually yeah, I bought know. it to play God of War. I bought the PS4 for that. Oh, so wow. my first console game was me trying to figure out how to, how to play a console and also trying to figure out the puzzles and stuff in God of War. Not a good
3: side. He'll, he'll start a side quest and then he'll go do another side quest while he's doing the side quest. And he says, "Like Brent, he's like, oh, he's like Brendan Dennis. How do you do this? How do you do this?" And I'm like, Zach, you're already starting one. Why are you starting another one? No, 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 I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. Why are you asking us that?
2: <laughs> yeah. So
0: at the very end of the game, if you go back to um, kratos house and you, um, I guess there's like an option to go to sleep. You basically fall asleep. It goes black, and then it says several years later, and um, like the eternal winter is coming to an end and there's like lightning and storms everywhere and thor shows up outside of your house um like grabbing his hammer and ready for a fight so i assume that will be
2: oh man i totally missed that yeah yeah so if That's you go back into it and then
0: go back to your house and uh
2: sleep. yeah i was planning on going back at some point because there was there's tons of side stuff that i never uh completed so um I put it down after yeah. I beat it, you know, after I actually, well, finished the campaign. I said, I'll I'll go try to do something else, but...
3: Yeah, you can, uh, you know, all those, like, different realms you could go to, you can go back to them and do a
2: bunch more stuff. Yeah, I mean, like, I still have, I think I only killed one Valkyrie, or beat one oh. Valkyrie.
3: That's one yeah. more than Zach. <laughs> 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 Zach attempted it and just stopped. He could do it too. It, but he then was uh, doing so well. He was doing really well. He just gave up. I felt I'll so bad. Be able to
0: do it now because I built the legendary armor set.
2: Oh. I accidentally my first one. I actually unlocked like the the toughest one. I never found all <laughs> the other ones, and then the first one I actually ended up finding was like the. The toughest level one so it it wasted me pretty much every i'm like oh this is like the eight of eight valkyrie that i shouldn't be messing with right now
0: you got the
1: lucky one yeah Zach. he like he started the first valkyrie gave up and then he found the second one and tried fighting it and we were like don't do that
0: (laughs) yeah all right well i think uh just about come to an end here i want to thank lou spending some time with us thank you so much that was um
2: yeah Thanks for having me on. So we uh,
0: see you guys next week. And
2: uh,
0: yeah, peace out. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening. All right. See you. Thanks.